Turn with me this morning in your Bible to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. We're slowly making our way through this wonderful gospel. This morning we're going to be, uh, begin at verse 12 and read through verse 32. There's a, there's a ton of material in these uh, three stories. Uh, it's really sort of a fire hose of good news, and I intend to spray it all over you this morning and to trust that the Holy Spirit will just drench you with good news, with the grace, the astonishing, amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ. So uh, the title of my message is Amazing Grace. Uh, verse 12, Luke chapter 5. Let's give our... Attention to the very word of God. While he, that is, that is Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go, show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and laid him down with his, and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus." And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So far, the reading of God's word this morning. Let's ask for his blessing on it. Lord, give us ears that we might hear the things of God. Give us eyes to see. For Lord, as we see even in this text, there were men who heard and who saw and yet were utterly blind to the glory in front of them. Father, may we not be like them today, but by your grace, I pray, Lord, that we would hear the voice of God and see the goodness and grace of God in Jesus Christ. 
and that we would experience his healing power in our life today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The title, as I said, of our message this morning is Amazing Grace. Sinclair Ferguson and his treatment of this just makes the comment that uh, though most Christians know the song Amazing Grace, many Christians have failed uh, to be really that amazed. Uh, we've sort of gotten used to the song and we've gotten used to the term and we've gotten used to the idea of grace. If I asked you honestly this morning, uh, do you find grace to be amazing? Before you answer that, let me just remind you of the dictionary definition of amazing. If you are amazed, it means you are shocked, flabbergasted, and dumbfounded. How many of you this morning would say that's honestly how you feel about the grace of God to you today? Flabbergasted, dumbfounded, shocked. I think we, we believe in it. We, we delight in it maybe. We're glad about it. But, but it's often not amazing, mind-blowing, staggering, life-transforming, incredible, overwhelming grace. Well, the real thing, you see, the reason I ask the question is because the real thing is actually like that. In our, our text this morning, when people saw Jesus and heard Jesus, they were filled with awe. And they said to each other, we've seen extraordinary things today. They were flabbergasted. They were stunned, surprised, astonished, and astounded. They couldn't believe what they were seeing and hearing. And they weren't even aware of actually what they were looking at. They thought they were looking at a great prophet. They thought they were seeing a man who had a, a amazing power to perform miracles, to heal lepers, and, and to raise paralyzed men from mats. They'd never seen such great power, and they were amazed at the power. But the great thing, the amazing thing about these stories isn't the revelation of power. It's the revelation of grace. God's intention as he interacts with a fallen world, people like you and me, that's the amazing thing. That's the awe-inspiring, extraordinary thing that Luke wants us to see. And he gives us these three stories, one right after another, all with the same basic message. They're different stories, different individuals, different circumstances, all having one common reality. They are helpless and hopeless until they meet Jesus, until Jesus enters their world. It sounds a lot like a church body, actually. There are all sorts of different stories here this morning, as many different stories as there are individuals. We all have our unique experience of the common fall into sin. So the brokenness and the sinfulness and the shame, those are all unique stories, uniquely ours. But we have this one common reality. We are helpless and hopeless until Jesus enters our world. And we receive his amazing grace. And so let's look at these stories this morning, expecting to see amazing things. First, grace for the diseased man. There is an overwhelming need here in this man. Luke tells us that he was full of leprosy. Of all the, the uh, stories we have in the Gospels of lepers being healed, I find this to be one of the most poignant because of the, the seriousness, the, 
He's full of it. It's, it. If you have cancer, it's one thing. If you're full of cancer, it's another thing uh, completely. The, the, the disease has gone to its advanced stages. Almost certainly, he has limbs that are missing because of this disease. He has um, open wounds, and there would be a stench as his body is actually decomposing while he's still alive. It is not a pleasant scene. And this man then is hopelessness in, in perfect form. His disease is the towering, defining reality of his life, and it is the incurable cause of his imminent death. Leprosy in that day was one of the very worst things that could possibly happen to a person. We might uh, remember just recently the scare from the Ebola virus, a deadly disease. But leprosy was, is worse. You could possibly survive Ebola. No one survives leprosy. Not, not this sort of leprosy. And to be a leper was to be dead already, though you were still alive. You lost everything. On the day you went to the priest and the priest pronounced you leprous and unclean, you were expelled from the synagogue. You were not allowed to go to the temple. You were not allowed to even be by your family. Leviticus 13 Verses 45 and 46 says this, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And so this is really, this man is... He's been banished from society, barred from his family, his friends, barred from all healthy people, consigned to the company only of the condemned. He's outside the camp. In the, in the Old Testament language, that's judgment. That's death. You're removed from the presence of God. This isn't just a health issue. It's a holiness issue. The law has condemned him. The law has rendered him a spiritual reject. He is ceremonially unfit to be in the presence of God and of God's people. The law has rendered its verdict. Sinclair Ferguson makes a great point that many people try to go to the law to find help. But the law does this one thing, and it does it very well. When, when you apply the law of God and its requirements to your life, you're going to find that the law always comes back with the same verdict. It's always going to come back unclean. And there's nothing the law can do to help you. Certainly when this man had gone to the priest and they'd, uh, they had rendered the verdict, you, you just think of the, the, the terror, the horror, the, the helplessness and hopelessness. You can imagine him asking the priest, are you, are you positive? Are you, are you sure? Is there nothing that you can do? Is there, is there no treatments that have been found? And there's nothing that the priest can do. There's nothing the law can do. The law can't help us. By the law, the Bible says, no one will be justified. And so here's this man in absolute utter need. But he has amazing faith. He comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Notice what he wants. He wants to be clean. He doesn't just want to be healed. He wants to be made right. He wants to be restored. He wants to be made right with God and, and right with the community. He wants, once again, to be able to have the smiling face of God in his life. He wants to be made right. And, and he comes to Jesus, and you've got to realize he's breaking all the rules in doing so. Leviticus says, right, that if, if, if a leper would come near to people, they've got to 
they got to cry out, cover their lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. Which means people are just going to be getting away from you. But he comes directly to Jesus. He's supposed to stay away from Jesus. Every righteous teacher in Israel would have been shocked and horrified and would have rebuked the man while they were running from him. But he comes directly to Jesus, falls on his face, and begs him, Lord, if you will, you can. He begs him. Friend, when was the last time you were that desperate before God? Have you ever been that desperate before God? Have you ever been on your face before God and sensing the leprous nature of your own heart found that you were begging Jesus to help you? Maybe in a time of great grief or pain? Maybe in a situation you just sense your utter helplessness to, to fix the problem? Have you ever gone begging to the Lord? It is a glorious thing to do. It is an essential thing to do. The only people who don't go begging to Jesus are those who are maybe too proud or who don't sense their need. You cannot both sense your need and see the reality of one who can help without going to run into him unless you're just proud. This man, uh, his, his pride is, it's died with everything else. He's got nothing to hide, nothing to pretend. There's no more pretensions. He, he brings all of his putrid flesh and unclean status written all over himself. He, he brings it all up to Jesus and collapses there and begs for mercy. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. That's a startling faith because everything in this man's existence told him that this was not possible. There was no hope. It's what the priest had said. It's what the law, it's what his leprous friends said. It's what everybody knew to be true. When you, if you were full of leprosy, you're beyond the pale. And the religion of the day has no help for you. But somehow this man had heard about Jesus. Maybe he'd been in the back of the crowd when Jesus was speaking by the sea. And his faith in Jesus, you see, then made him do the unthinkable and ask for the impossible. You don't go and ask to be made clean if you're a leper. It's not possible to be clean. And yet against all the evidence of his decaying body, against all the judgments of the law, against all the wisdom of his friends and, and, uh, and others in the community, he believed. He believed that Jesus could make him clean. And so he comes, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Some of you maybe this morning are wishing you had that kind of faith. You're in a difficult spot and it's hard to believe that there's hope, there's help. Maybe you, you've committed sin, grievous sin, and the, your conscience is, is after you. The law of God speaks to you. But friend, Jesus Christ came for people just like you, just like me. Jesus came to do what the law could not do. He came to make us clean. And we see the grace of Jesus as he reaches out to this man. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched him and he said, I will. Those are good words. He reaches out his hand and touched him. That has uh, caught the attention of commentators. Why does Jesus do that? He doesn't need to in order to heal him, right? He, he created the universe without touching anything. He just spoke. In the next miracle, he's just going to speak to the paralyzed man, rise, take up your bed, and go home. So why does he reach out his hand and touch someone you're not supposed to touch? 
It is a profoundly foolish thing to do. Everyone who was watching would have been shocked. Doesn't Jesus understand what he's doing? He's, he's putting his personal life at great risk. And he's also placing his sort of ceremonial status before the law at risk. He's touching an unclean man. He will have to go through purification rites. He's making himself unclean. What is he doing? Why is he doing it? Well, he, the reason he's doing it, you see, is that this is exactly why he came. Jesus didn't just speak a word from heaven to make us clean. Jesus came and entered our leprous lives. And he put his own life not at risk. He put his life on a cross. Jesus exposed himself to the judgment of the law, the judgment of God that we deserved. He, he did exactly what we find him doing here, reaching out his hand and joining us in our uncleanness so that he might make us clean. You see, it is as he reaches out his hand and touches this man that the man is made clean. He cares for him as he cures him. And both, friends, both of those things are essential part of the grace of God. You realize this man has not been touched by a healthy person for a long, long time. You might, that, you might think that's a small thing, but I would just try to live a week without anyone touching you. Now, some of you are thinking that would be a really good week, but that's just because you have issues. If um, <clears throat> You're made to be touched. You're made to be touched. To be touched is to be accepted, to be received, to be known, to be acknowledged, to be loved. And Jesus, in reaching out his hand, we, we don't miss this. He's not been touched by a healthy person in a long time. He has not been touched by a holy person since the priest pronounced the judgment. And yet Jesus reaches and touches him and lets him know, I am willing, both in his words and in his touch. Jesus' grace is caring grace. And we need to know it's caring grace. Great old hymn, written 1901. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long, does Jesus care when my way is dark with nameless dread and fear? As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong, when for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long? Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me, and my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks? Is it aught to him? Does he see? And how's the chorus go? Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Some of you need to know that Jesus cares today. Your Savior cares. His grace is a caring grace, but as Jesus cares, he also cures. He reaches out his hand, and immediately the leprosy left him as Jesus communicated his desire. I will. I am willing. I desire this thing. 
and the leprosy was expelled and the man is made clean. All condemnation is gone. Relationships restored with God and with his family and the covenant community. You see, Jesus, friends, is able to do what the law could not do. Romans 8.3, what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh. God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. That is good news. For sinners like you and me. This is not just a healing story. We're not supposed to just say, what a nice thing that that leper here got his health back. It's a gospel story. What an amazing thing that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to earth to touch lepers like you and me in order to cleanse us and cure us, though it will cost him his life. And Luke, to pound home the amazing grace of Jesus, goes on to this other story where uh, we see the authority of Jesus. It is, it is wonderful that Jesus cares and that Jesus has power, but is Jesus able with authority to actually to fix the problem? Uh, simply um, having the ability to, to do something does not mean you have the authority to do something. You might be able to figure out some way to print money. You don't have the authority to print money. So the question in, in this second story is, is, is a question, if we're going to be healed, we need someone that has the authority. And that's exactly what we're told here. Here we have a paralyzed man, and his friends bring him to Jesus, believing, again, that Jesus can do the impossible. You don't go through all this work uh, for no purpose or without some confidence. But you see, they don't even understand what Jesus is about or what their friend actually needs. If you would ask these men, why are you letting down your friend through the roof? They would say, well, look at him. He's on a mat. He needs healing. And, they, and so they make it happen. They get the tiles removed and they let the man down. And Jesus sees the man. And then he says what they never expected to, to hear him say. Jesus says to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven you. Now, I don't doubt that uh, the four friends, as they're watching from the roof, eagerly, that they would have been a little bewildered and maybe disappointed. Your sins are forgiven you? I mean, they didn't go through all the trouble just to hear that. Can't Jesus see what this man needs? Doesn't he understand this man's problem? But you see, Jesus sees exactly what this man needs in a way that no one else does. What is overwhelmingly evident to everyone in that room is this man's physical inability. What is overwhelmingly evident to Jesus is this man's spiritual inability. You see, the paralysis of his body is a symptom and a sign of a much deeper, much more perplexing problem. This man is, is caught in the curse that's come in this world because of sin, and this man himself is a sinner. You see, friends, Jesus sees the true spiritual source of the problem. The, the problems of this world are not what we think they are. If you would ask the man in the street, what's wrong with the world today? They would say all sorts of various things. Governments, war, disease, poverty, lack of education. Those are the problems. Those are the, those are the, the issues uh, before the, that, that we need to take care of in the world. But those are not the problems. Those are symptoms of the problems. Man has been separated from the living God, separated from life itself because of his rebellion and sin. God has placed this world under a curse justly 
in order to redeem it, Romans 8. That's the problem in the world. So how are you going to fix that? You can educate people. You can try to create better governments. You can try to, to rid the world of war and, you, and disease and poverty. But if you don't address the problem, you haven't helped mankind that much at all because he soon is going to die, and after that is the judgment. So when Jesus looks at this man, he doesn't just see a paralyzed man. He sees a helpless fallen son of Adam, a man who cannot raise himself from the deadly bondage to his guilt, a man powerless to rectify his wrongs, utterly incapable of making himself right before a holy and righteous God. And so Jesus, with all the authority as the Son of God, Jesus speaks to the problem and says, man, your sins are forgiven you. That's an amazing message. The Pharisees were shocked and offended. Who does this man think he is? Uttering blasphemies. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. And you want to give them a point for getting it right, but you see in their spiritual, their self-righteousness, they're blind to what's right in front of them. God in flesh. God doing what only God can do. God forgiving sin. God in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's the miracle of the story. That's the miracle. The healing is just the evidence of the miracle. So Jesus says to them, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven you or say to rise up and walk? But that you might know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Man, that, that is, I want to talk to the guys that were in the room that day. I want to talk to this paralyzed man right when we get to heaven. He was watching the whole thing. He experienced first the, the deepest blessing of being forgiven, all of his sins forgiven, and then receiving the evidence of that blessing as health returns to his body, and he, he gets up and goes home glorifying God. Jesus, friends, has the authority to forgive sin. No matter what the law says, no matter what the, how the devil might accuse, Jesus has authority to say your sins are forgiven you. Now, we need to hear that again. We need to be amazed by that, and, and we need to hear it even though we are sinners. You see, one of the things that makes it difficult for us to really receive this, if you are spiritually sensitive, if you have a sensitive moral conscience, you know that, that you are morally disqualified from the favor of God. So, so the power of Jesus impresses you, his kindness and, and his goodness it, you, 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 you really do appreciate that. But the lingering question for people who are, are sensitive of their sin is, is Jesus actually willing to heal me, the morally disqualified person? I believe he's able to raise the disabled person. I believe he's able to cleanse the diseased person. But what about me, the morally disqualified person? And so Luke tells us a story about Levi, who, of course, becomes Matthew, the writer of the gospel. You see, if the leper broke all the rules by coming to Jesus, Jesus breaks all the rules by going to the leopard, to, the, to, to Levi. 
As Jesus goes to Levi, he's breaking every religious rule in the book. He, Levi is a, is a tax collector, and again, I know you've heard of that, but he's, he's simply a traitorous, filthy, greeter, greedy man. His, his, his wretched trade has made him more unclean than the leper. You see, the leper would be pitied by the people of, of Israel. The traitor is despised. The leper is a leper by the mysterious providence of God. The, the tax collector is a traitor by his own disgusting choice. He's a wicked, vile man. He's, he's to be despised. So when it comes to the kingdom of God, tax collectors are they're as far out as you can get. They're as far away as you can get. In a sense, worse than Gentiles. Gentiles can plead ignorance. A tax collector has nothing to plead. And so there's no way Jesus should have called Levi, the tax collector, doing his business in his booth to be his disciple. It's a violation of all the religious rules. And no one would have been more shocked or surprised than Levi. He knew what he was. If he ever forgot the people walking past and their, their comments, their sneers, their curses, they would remind him. And he knew who Jesus was. A holy man, a teacher, a righteous man. And one day this, this holy teacher, this righteous man, walks directly up to him, up to his booth, and, and there in the middle of, of his filthy business, Jesus says to Levi, come and follow me. And we're told that immediately he got up and left everything and followed him. Now, how in the world did that happen? Well, just put yourself there. Levi's, he's at work. And Jesus approaches. And of all the things Levi expected to hear out of Jesus' mouth, this was not even on the radar screen. Levi never saw it coming. When Jesus approached his tax booth, Levi was ready. He was ready for the rebuke. He was ready for the sneer. He was ready for the curse. He was ready for the derogatory comment. But he was absolutely unprepared for grace. And it blew up his world. As grace will do. You just, you just don't expect it. So why did he leave everything? Because he was captured by grace. Jesus, this holy man of God, came to Levi, the, the most despised person in Israel. And Jesus said, I want you to be my disciple. I want, I want you to follow me. I, I'm specifically choosing you to belong to me. It was the grace that got him, the pure, unadulterated, astounding grace for a pure, unadulterated, astounding sinner. And so Jesus invites this man and Levi, in the wonder of the grace of Jesus, leaves it all and then invites this, this man who is willing to give grace to tax collectors, he invites him to his house so he can invite all of his friends to come. He wants them to meet this man. They have never met a man like Jesus. Can you imagine that meal, the joy of that meal. But the Pharisees, again, are confounded. They're grumbling, saying, why, why do you eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's breaking the rules. And, and Jesus says, well, the, those who are well don't need a physician, but those who are sick, I've not come to call the righteous, 
but sinners to repentance. And friends, that's the lesson of all the stories. And that's the essence of the grace, the amazing grace of God. So we come to these stories so easily with a devastating assumption that God is, is gracious and kind to good people. And that, that, that assumption is devastating on both sides. If you are a proud person, if you see you're, you're not amazed by grace because you, you're, you're a good person. Person. It, it makes sense to you that God would be gracious to you. You mow your front lawn, you keep the place tidy, you work every day, you get a, an honest paycheck, and you're trying to raise your family and, and uh, participate as a good citizen. You're, you're a good person. It's, it's not surprising to you that God would be gracious to you. I mean, look at you. You see, the assumption being that God gives grace to good people. And, and, and that same assumption will drive other people to despair because they look at their life and they realize, I'm a pervert. No matter what I got going on the outside, I know what's going on inside. And there are things that I think and that I say and, and, and do that are wicked. I know they're wicked. And it's hard, you see, for you to receive the, the, the joy of grace because you just assume that grace, God's, I mean, his real grace, his real favor, his delight is for the other people that are sitting around you, the, you know, the, the more disciplined people, the self-controlled people, the, the, the gracious, kind people. They're probably on the inside, and, and we're just kind of maybe hoping to hang on to the, the outer circles. Well, see, we've we got we to destroy that wicked assumption Jesus here says, grace is not for those who don't need a physician. Grace is not for the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. So if it, it, it destroys our pride, and it calms and cures our fears. It destroys your pride. If, if you are, if you're proudly assuming that God ought to give grace because you're a good person, you need to beg for mercy because there is leprosy all over you. Your condition is dire. You need, you need to go and fall at the feet of Jesus and beg for mercy. Beg God to forgive that arrogance. Can you imagine the arrogance that, that you would assume that the living, thrice holy God who knows you ought to be kind to you because of, of things that you've, you've done, that you're a good person? You say, don't stop begging for mercy until grace becomes amazing, until you're astounded, flabbergasted, overwhelmed that God would send Jesus, his own son, to live and die for you. Beg for mercy. Can you imagine how offensive it is to God when church people take the name of God on their lips and say they believe in grace and yet they utterly assume that it's for them simply because they're good people? It's offensive. It's offensive to God. It's offensive to the world. That's why so many people look at the, the, the church and just shake their head at the hypocrisy and the self-righteousness and the arrogance because they see a bunch of people who think they've cleaned themselves up and somehow have an upper leg with God. And yet, their lives just don't show it. It's one of the reasons I wept. Maybe you guys remember that. 
when I um, went to um, buy tickets for a, a Gaither concert way back uh, 12 years ago, I bet. No, longer than that. Anyhow. And um, we're standing in line, and I'm standing in line waiting for the ticket office to open, and, and uh, the, the window goes up, and the people rush forward. These are all Christians. We're going to see Bill Gaither. And the rudeness, the, 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 the pettiness, the arrogance, the demanding nature of the whole thing. So I'm about four, five people back. And when I, get to the, when I get to the counter window, I said to the lady, I said, are people always like this? And you know what she said? Not always, just mostly the Christians. And I went home, went back to my office, and I, uh, I got the number of that, uh, of somehow I, I found the number. I called and got hold of this lady. I said, I just need to talk to you. So when you have time, give me a call. And this lady explains. She says, the worst crowds here at Van Andel Arena are the Christian crowds. For the workers coming to a Christian event because of the arrogance, because of the demanding nature. And I wept. How, do you, how does that happen? It happens when church people have utterly forgotten grace. They've forgotten what they were. They've forgotten what they deserve justly by the hand of God, and they've forgotten what it costs for God to rescue them. We need to be amazed, or we're going to be wicked people. We're going to be arrogant people. We're going to be fruitless people. We need to be amazed. Some of you here this morning are, you want, you want to believe it's true. You want to believe that God can really actually forgive you. you. You've confessed your sin and you kind of believe that you're forgiven, but you don't experience that forgiveness all the way down. You don't for, you experience the joy and the peace. You don't experience the freedom from it. Friend, you need to listen to, the, to this gospel. You need to let the words of Christ be as real to your ears this morning as they were to that leper. Jesus reaches out his hand to you today to tell you he is willing. I am willing. Be clean. If Jesus utters that sentence over your life as you confess your sin and he promises to do exactly that, then you can know you are clean. When Jesus says to you, your sins are forgiven you, he has the authority to make that sentence, to render that verdict. You are forgiven. Let the reality of it descend on you. Let the grace of it soak into you. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter who you are. Grace is for sinners. And it's grace that forgives. It's grace that washes clean. Receive it today. Receive it today. It is God's word to you. And then share it, you see. Let's be a church characterized by amazing grace. A church where, where lepers like us are coming and we're inviting other lepers to come and experience the loving, cleansing, gracious embrace of Jesus. Let's be a church where people are carrying sin-paralyzed friends and family members into the presence of the Lord in the conviction Jesus has the authority and the power and the will to heal. To be a church where tax collectors like you and me invite our other tax collector friends to come and celebrate the amazing grace of Jesus. 
Let's let grace be amazing. And friends, if we believe it's amazing, it's going to change us. It's going to transform us. It's going to affect even how we come together. Do you know one of the ways that we're falling down? I just, I just tell you this because it's on my heart. There are still people when, when church gets done and there will be visitors here, people maybe aren't new or are or, or, or new and, and, uh, or people who maybe aren't quite like us and, and will go into the foyer and they'll stand there. Just received word two weeks ago of someone who was attending Harvest for about six months and now doesn't attend anymore because just could not find a way in. Friends, that, that's, not, that's not the grace, is it? When we experience the grace, you're going to have eyes to see the person right down the road next to you, and you're going you're gonna to embrace them this morning, welcome them in the Lord, and get to know them because we have nothing to hide, we have nothing to fear, we have everything to celebrate, and we want people to know this Jesus. We want to delight together in the amazing, amazing grace of Jesus. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Is that your story today? Then let's, let's sing it. Let's delight in it. I once was lost, utterly lost, but now am found, was blind. Now I see May God give us the grace to see. May God make us a church more or more that is astounded, flabbergasted, stunned by the amazing grace of Jesus. Amen. Father in heaven, Lord, oh, we need to hear grace. We need to hear, Lord, your amazing love for sinners, that you came for sinners to cleanse us, to forgive us, to raise us up, to make us new. Oh God, I, I pray that your spirit would let us hear this and believe this. Make it, may it humble us and transform us. That we become loving, gracious people to the glory of God. That it casts out our fears. It gives us joy and boldness and confidence. That we belong to God and nothing can separate us from his love. Oh, God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his amazing grace. That's as real today as it was the day these events happened. Help us to believe in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Would you stand with me and let's sing Newton's hymn. Let it be our confession of the amazing grace of God.